return is very close And so you better be believing that our God is an awesome God Our God is an awesome God Welcome to a service at Holy Life Tabernacle in Brookings, South Dakota. We are proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. Now let's go into the sanctuary and here's today's message. Nope. Hello. How are you? God's so good, isn't he? Praise the Lord. Mm. Just love you, Jesus, so much. We're so grateful, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for life. Thank you for joy unspeakable and full of glory. Thank you for your presence, Holy One. For the Spirit of Jesus living in us, abiding in us, counseling us and directing us and filling us with your fullness. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the wisdom from your word, that every single word of yours is with power, always promising to fulfill that which it's sent to accomplish. And so, Lord, we're giving you praise right now for wonderful things happening in this hour and in the next. In Jesus' name, glory to God. Glory to God. Glory to God. So we're dealing with a little bit of healing again. It's a great topic in the Word of God. (laughs) Uh, Last time, which was, what, eight weeks ago. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, We spent a lot of time talking about our position in Christ. And um, I think at the end, the the unifying factor was that um, salvation... The whole point was not just to get us a new destination, which, praise God, we got this glorious heaven to look forward to, right? But the entire purpose was that the life of Christ, the life of God, would be in us. That's what God intended from the beginning when he created the gorgeous world and man and woman and mankind, was that God himself wanted fellowship, he wanted union with us human beings. In fact, that's really one of the meanings of Yahweh. It's the God who wanted relationship. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And you might wonder, well, union, union with between God and man, what does that have to do with healing? Well, <laughs> how about everything? Everything. Everything. It has to do with you and I walking in divine health because we're one with the life of Christ. But it has to do with more than just our own personal walk with God and this union that we have and the spirit of the living God within us. It has to do with us even being releasers of that life to our world and releasers of that power to others and releasers of the health of Jesus Christ to others around us. For... um, Like every moment of the day and night, as while Jesus was walking on the earth, well... I'm sure in heaven it's even more to the extreme. He was aware, aware, aware. Super duper conscious of the presence of the Father with him. And that's the way we want to learn to live. We want to learn to live aware, conscious of this union that we have 
with Christ. We want to live like Jesus. We want to think like Jesus. We want to see like Jesus. We want to believe like Jesus did. And uh, that includes learning how to live with this life that's now on the inside of us. Now, a lot of people come up with, I mean, maybe even you're thinking, but Jesus was the Son of God. So it was different for for him. But let's look at this scripture in Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, because the scripture teaches us that Jesus actually laid aside all of his divine privileges. Every one. Some of the translations use the phrase, he emptied himself. But here's the message Bible. When the time came, Jesus set aside the privileges of deity. He set them aside and he took on the status of a slave becoming human. The New Living Testament, did I give you that one as well? It says he gave up his divine privileges, taking the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. So on purpose, Jesus became the standard for you and I. Acts chapter 10, verse 38 spells it out. But if we have to keep looking at Jesus, thinking, I could live like that. I could live with that kind of dependence on my Father. I could live so full, so aware, so conscious of my, the life of God in me and the power of the Father in me. So here's what Acts 10.38 says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Remember, the Son of God who laid aside all of his divine privileges. So really he lived as more than the Son of God. He called himself the Son of Man many, many times while he was walking on the earth. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Hallelujah. So um, let's turn now then to John chapter 5. We're going to read maybe five or six verses here from the New King James. It says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. He had just done a miraculous healing. I believe this was the one of the withered hand. Verse 17, Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath. These people, these Pharisees were consumed with the law, consumed with keeping the law, because they felt like that was the only way to please God. Verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. Now, do notice that little phrase, equal with God. Can we go on? Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do for whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner, for the Father loves the Son. And shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. 
For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. That all should honor the son, just as they honor the father. He who does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. Now, like I said, the Pharisees were consumed with keeping the law and all the rules in regards to the Sabbath. But somehow they missed the heart of God. His kindness and his mercy and his desire to heal and to make whole. And when Jesus began to call himself the Father, that Jesus, him saying he was the Son of God, well, they became, they all came undone. Now, Jesus never did come to replace the Father. I mean, that little phrase we saw, which verse was that where it says equal with God? Jesus never claimed to be equal to God. He never came to replace the Father, but to represent him. He never tried to replace the Father. He never termed it equal to the Father. Instead, Jesus' mentality was that he was equal with God, meaning a representative. Now again, why is this such a big deal? Because friends, when, because we're in Christ, we are in that same place. We are representatives of God the Father on this earth. And we now take on the likeness of Christ. We have been described in Peter as being partakers of the divine nature. Now, do I have that verse for you? Maybe not. Second Peter 1.4 Whereby are giving unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, I've heard it taught that this is a gradual process, that we gradually become partakers of the divine nature. I don't believe that is true. I believe because the Bible says the day we are born again, the kingdom of God comes in. The day we say yes to Christ, our spirits are completely changed. We become brand new creatures. Our body and our mind has a little catching up to do. (laughs) And that's really what sanctification is. The best definition I've ever heard is becoming what we already are. (laughs) Becoming what we already are. Our spirit man is whole. It's complete. It's healthy. It's strong. It's full of life. It's full of power. It's full of courage. Whatever you feel like you're weak in, that your spirit man already has it taken care of because God's already planted himself, his life, his power in you. So the promises, that's where this word comes in. We're transformed into brand new creatures. When this starts to take effect, when this incorruptible seed falls into this soil of our hearts and it gets activated and it starts changing and our bodies and our minds Start taking on this divine nature. Yeah, hallelujah. It's pretty marvelous. Um, Colossians 2.10 was one of the scriptures I gave you last time to meditate on, where it says you are complete in him. I mean, I dare you to look in the mirror tomorrow morning, maybe even this afternoon, and say that to yourself. You are complete in Jesus Christ. The enemy has a whole lot to say about that, which is completely opposite. But let's stop believing the lies and let's start believing who we are in Christ Jesus. 
So uh, let's look at eight Romans 8, 15, one of my favorite verses, especially since I saw this uh, new translation in the Passion. But we're going to read it from the King James first because it's, it's really good there. <laughs> All right, here's the Bible. You have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now listen, the enemy wants you in bondage. He wants you all tied up in knots. He wants you worried. He wants you anxious. He wants you far from free. But Jesus gave us a spirit that has nothing to do with fear, nothing to do with bondage. You have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Now, the Hebrew scholars say that Abba is such a shocking, shocking word for anybody to say in public. They say it's this intimate word that should never be spoken in public. And yet here's Jesus calling. Well, if you look in the, the Gospels when Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, one of his most agonizing hours he ever went through, he called his father Abba. And here's Paul, by way of the Holy Ghost, suggesting that we can do the same. We can call God our daddy, our papa, our father. We are his true children. So let's look at the passion then here. Um, This union, friends, that we have with God is an amazing, an amazing thing. All right, so here it says, you did not receive the spirit of religious duty leading you back into fear of never being good enough. But you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God. And you will never feel orphaned, for as he rises up within us, our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection. Beloved Father, well, they must have changed the passion a little bit, because I'm going to read to you the way I have it. It says, since we are his true children, and maybe I am, do have it from a wrong translation, but I'm going to read it to you. We qualify to share all of his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we're joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. I'm going to repeat that last part. Well, first of all, we qualify. That's good news, right? You qualify to share all of his treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God. Since we're joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is and all that he has. And I'm going to repeat that. All that he is. Just stop and meditate on who is God. What is God like? Whew. You've inherited everything God is and everything that he has. I mean, the father, the prodigal son's father said to the older son, listen, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. We've got to get that through our heads, our hearts. But listen, on this whole subject of healing then, if this is true, that we inherited all that he is, come on, doesn't that include wholeness? Doesn't that include freedom from pain? Doesn't that include deliverance and rescue and wholeness in every single area of our life? Intactness 
Do you know in Strong's Concordance, that's actually one of the meanings of shalom, is intactness. Whew. Whenever I have a, like a bone or a rib or something that feels a little out of place, like, you are my Jehovah Shalom. You are my God of intactness. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, um, I'm going a little bit of a different direction right now because I got so excited about this. <coughs> Angeline, um, you posted something on Facebook from uh, Quincy Goodstar. I can't remember what the first original one was, but I, I listened to it. <clears throat> and then following that one, you know how sometimes you're on Facebook and all of a sudden you see, oh, that looks awfully good. And so there was a teaching that he did, and so I want I got so excited about it, I'm going to share it with you right now. It was in regards to healing from the old covenant. Now, come on, friends. We're in the new covenant, which is better, the Bible says, with better promises. Everything about it is better. But somehow we've moved into this realm of healing in today's group of believers where it's not as good as it was in the old. Like, well, we live in this fallen world. You can expect to get sick. You can expect this to happen. And, and if you try really hard, if you do this, 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 you might get healing from that Father who loves you so much. But let's look at this old covenant, the healing that was included in the old covenant. Can we go to Exodus chapter 12? We're going to read the 13 verses. Did you hear this teaching, Angeline? Okay, um, so it might come to you as you're reading this. Okay, so here's Exodus chapter 12. This is the story of the Passover. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year. So the whole Jewish calendar changed right here this night. Verse 3, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. I believe King James says a lamb for a house. Get that phrase. Just say it with me. A lamb for a house. A lamb for a house. A lamb for a house. You need to have that memorized and deep in your heart because anytime you're believing for your children or your relatives... Listen, it was a lamb for a house. The covenant includes your household, your relatives. Jesus wants them all saved. Okay, so they chose this lamb on the 10th day. Verse 4, and if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat. You shall make your count for the lamb. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. Now, you all know that Jesus was our Passover lamb. The perfect one, no blemish. But when they went out to look at their, the lambs, they had to pick one with no blemish at all. A male, a year old, you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Now, Quincy was explaining how this lamb got to be a pet in the household. I mean, it was there from the 10th day to the 14th day. Maybe they named it Little Lammy, you know, and they all got really close and fell in love with this little lamb, and then on the 14th day, it says, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Can we go on? Then they shall take some of the blood 
and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night. Now here's the key verse here. Roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted. Eat its head and its legs and its inner parts. And verse 10 says, you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning, you shall burn. In this manner, you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, on and I'm going to execute judgment on the gods of Egypt. Friends, behind every god, there is a demon. So what God is doing right here is executing judgment, which, again, this, this whole, everything about the Passover talks about Christ. Everything refers to Christ. Christ took the judgment of God against sin. And then he says, I'm the Lord. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you. On the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land. And again, this is another verse um, that you might want to get in your heart and in your spirit. No plague shall be, be able to destroy you. I'm trying to remember how it says in King James, because I always... I use it when I'm praying, wherever the blood is upon the doorpost of that home. The enemy cannot come in to smite. That's the way the King James puts it. You got the blood on your house? Yeah. On your household. On your household. Hallelujah. So um, the lamb, again, like I said, signifies Christ. And everything about the Passover speaks of Christ. Now, the key verse, uh, can we go back to verse 8 then, is where the command was, uh, they must eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire. It had to be roasted. It could not be, I think he even says it a little bit later, didn't it? Yes, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water. It must be roasted. Now, in the last Passover meal, Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verse 19, this is my body. He's holding the bread and he says, this is my body, which is given for you this do in remembrance of me. So this piece of bread, um, you know, I when I was just really working towards some healing in my body, I took communion like nightly for a couple weeks. You can take a chip, you can take a cracker, you can have a piece of bread. Just so that you understand that it represents the body of Christ. And may I just throw in a little suggestion. Next, next time you take communion, don't swallow your cracker whole. <laughs> chew and chew and chew. I mean, try to see and imagine God, his body broken, like crushed, mutilated for you. Because when you take that bread, you're taking it in. Didn't Jesus say, you have to, I want you to eat of my flesh. I want you to drink of my blood. So, Jesus' suffering, every single part of it, and I'm going to talk about certain elements in a minute, but I just, when I read, reread my paragraph, I saw it didn't really make a lot of sense. So let me explain it. Every part that Jesus suffered, 
was the judgment of God against sin. Okay, we're talking about the emotional trauma Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. We're talking about the unfair trial, the betrayal, Peter's denial, the beating, the ripping of his flesh, the crown of thorns, which we'll talk about in a little bit, the mockery of the soldiers, the nails in his hands and his feet, the hanging on the cross, hardly able to breathe, then being separated from his own father. When Satan threw every possible dark and nasty thing upon Jesus, all of this was the judgment of God against sin. Now, the Bible says that Jesus took upon himself all the sin of the world. It was horrendous. It was the judgment of God against sin. And that judgment then is, I don't know if I'm explaining it right, but that when it said we have to eat the lamb roasted, that's what that means. We have to see that all that judgment was on Christ. How do I explain this? So if we in any way think to ourselves, and believe. I mean, really how we believe is a big deal. If we believe maybe that, okay, I, I, I really do deserve this sickness, this thing that I'm dealing with in my body because I really, I really spend big time over there. Then what you're doing is you're putting that judgment. It's like eating the lamb boiled instead of roasted because you're seeing and you're believing that some of that judgment has to come on you instead of it all went on Jesus or um, you know a lot of believers most of us maybe I mean I hope we're all convinced that that he took it all but every once in a while you know I don't know does the ever enemy ever come to you with like well there was that one biggie There was that one awful thing you did. You probably deserve. And and somehow we slip into them thinking, well, okay, I believe Jesus died for my sins, but I got to deal with this. You know, this, this emotional trauma because I chose this or I made this decision. Anytime we're anywhere other than Jesus took it all, is eating that lamb boiled, or forbid we would ever try to eat it raw, meaning Jesus didn't take any of it. I have to take it all. Don't be there, friends. Don't be there. Let's eat it roasted. Let's actually believe that what Jesus took upon himself was for us. Isaiah 53, 5. I know I skipped a verse that... um, We'll, we'll just keep going here. Isaiah 53, 5. And this is the New American Standard, which I just love lately. He was pierced, 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 pierced. When you hear that word, what do you think of? Help me out. Where was he pierced? Name one spot. What? All right. The sword, the spear in his ribs. In his hands. Okay, I had a lady tell me, I was, I was explaining to her about how I had this revelation about Jesus being pierced in his hands so that my hands could be free of, 
arthritis and, and whatever, carpal tunnel and all this stuff that everybody keeps trying to throw on you. And she says to me, well, you know, the Romans had this crucifixion thing down to an art. They knew just how to put this nail in the hand and it didn't even hurt. And I'm thinking, I don't believe any of that. I believe Jesus suffered excruciating pain. And how about his feet? Anybody got feet issues? You don't have to raise your hand, but come on. Picture the nails in his feet. Come on, I'm daring you. Imagine what it felt like. Jesus took all of that, friends, for us. He was crushed for our iniquities. I mean, he fell under the weight of the cross. I don't know if you've ever read about crucifixion and what it was like just hanging there, barely able to breathe. And They say you have to just kind of push yourself up a little on the nails and the wood, the splintered wood, just to get a breath. Anybody got lung issues? Come on. Jesus took it all for you. The chastening for our well-being, punishment. I mean, that's what we just talked about, isn't it? If ever you think, well, I deserve this because I did such and such. I failed in this one terrible way. No, friends, Jesus took it all upon himself. Um, I guess I'm going to run out of time. I really want to talk about the crown of thorns. Um, I did a page in my book uh, last week or two weeks ago about this. You know, uh, there's this piece of fabric that they found in Jesus' tomb that they studied now, and, and there are several marks on there of, on, on the head where there was bleeding. I don't know. What do you picture? Do you picture seven? Do you picture ten? Do you picture twenty? Some, I mean, some of us, we've actually got this picture in our mind that maybe it's like a little rose thorn or two. Boom, 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 boom. They say that the, the crown of thorn that's now on display in the Louvre, that they, those thorns were up to 12 inches long. The date palm branch that they figure that was used and that there were 72 of them. And I don't know if you've read the scripture lately. But they didn't just plop it on his head and say, and then pretend. You know, they slammed it on his head. And then they took the stick and beat it. You've seen pictures. You've all seen the Passion of the Christ, I hope. If you haven't, you need to see it again. All the blood squirting, the blood pouring down his face. Come on, if you've got head issues of any kind, I'm talking about headaches or migraines. If you've got tormenting thoughts, if you deal with worry or fretting, I don't care what it is. Jesus suffered for you. Don't eat that lamb raw. Don't eat it boiled. Come on, let's eat it roasted. Let's believe that everything Jesus took upon himself was for us. Let's just say it. Thank you, Father. For the Lamb of God. Mm, we choose to eat it roasted. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for healing flowing right now in this place, in this room. Thank you, Lord. We're receiving by faith healing in our hands, healing in our lungs, healing in our feet, healing in our heads. 
Thank you, Lord, that you took the chastening, the punishment, the full judgment of God against sin. And Lord, it's also that we could be whole and complete in you. We praise you and we thank you. And, we, and uh, Lord, I just expect to hear wonderful and good reports in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this inspirational message. We trust that you were encouraged in your faith. For additional information or resources, please contact the church at 605-692-4616. You can email us at holylifeatbrookings.net or visit our website at holylifetabernacle.com. If you're in the Brookings area, please stop by to visit a service. We are located at 241 Mustang Pass, just off Main Avenue South. Our service times are Sundays at 10 a.m. and 6.30 p.m., also Wednesday nights at 7. God bless you.